Welcome to Insight, the insurance news podcast hosted by me, Andrew Silcox. In this week's edition of Insight, tis the season for insurers to be jolly as the results season and we analyze the data beyond seasonable doubt. We know our EBITDA from our Cassia and our Majorum from our remuneration, so we can tell you what IAG and QBE's results mean, for pepper or worse. Meanwhile, the industry's reputation takes a bit of a hit from the floods inquiry. We should have seen that, Cumin, but was it all just a waste of time? And I bet you're thinking, how long can I carry this on for? Long enough to wonder what makes a new syndicate significant. Just remember, you heard it here first. Hello, everyone. This week, I'm joined by Deputy Editor Wendy Pugh, who's just literally walked off on those puns, Senior Journalist Benice Han, Editor John Deeks, and Chairman Terry McMullen. Good morning, Wendy. Good morning, Andrew. So after that breaking news this morning, are you coming to your senses? <laughs> I think I'm losing my mind. <laughs> Hello, John. Hi. Got any spicy comments for us today? Oh, no, I, I keep things uh, very mild. All right. Okay. And hello, Terry. Good morning. As a senior member of this team, do you get annoyed if you're called a senior cinnamon? <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think of some pun around turnip. <laughs> and I've failed. And welcome, Benice. Hi, Andrew. Are you worried about my questioning? I'm cutting off. <laughs> well, let's cut a deal and move straight on. So this will be old news by the time the pod goes out, Wendy, but we just had a delayed recording thanks to some breaking news from the Australian Competition Tribunal. Well, we have. And this is, you know, the uh, ACCC had uh, blocked uh, Suncorp's plan to sell its bank to ANZ. So uh, Suncorp and ANZ appealed that decision. And the Australian Competition Tribunal this morning has uh, found uh, in their favour and they've uh, rejected the ACCC's views on uh, the effect on competition in home loan, SME and agribusiness banking markets. And uh, They've said that HBLC decision should be um, set aside and the, they've given unconditional uh, merger authorisation for the deal to go ahead. Well, that's good news for uh, Suncorp, then. It is, yeah. It's been something they've been confident about that they'd get, actually. So, yes. Well, it's results time, Bernice, and you've been focusing on all things IAG. How are they tracking? Yeah, results-wise, the uh, headline first half profit numbers are looking pretty good. I mean... Insurance profit up 75% to $614 million. And that's all driven by the premium rises, of course, that's been pushed through. And then GWP, 12.5% higher, is the strongest in nine years. But then IAG was keen to stress that it's aware of the affordability pressures facing its customers and Australians. I mean, we've seen it in the ABS Consumer Price Index. So, and Nick Hawkins, uh, the CEO of IAG, he did spend a fair amount of time during the earnings call know on rising premiums and the toll it's taking on consumers and IAG too. I mean, the rate rises have affected new business volume and Mr. Hawkins described the volumes as pretty flat. So like in the direct personalized business, you know, recorded net growth of only about 21,000 new customers in the first half. So where does that leave IAG's goal to add 1 million new customers? Um, it's part of Mr. Hawkins' five-year vision for the business, you know, to expand the NRMA insurance brand. So, and that plan was announced in 2021. So uh, we just have to watch and see what IAG does, goes about it then. Yep. QBE also reported last week, Wednesday. Well, it did, and they reported 
recorded a net profit of 1.36 billion US dollars, which was up from 587 million a year ago. And that was mainly driven by uh, more than a doubling of investment income and GWP growth was also up um, 10%. So they're, uh, you know, forecasting the pace of rate gains will taper a bit this year to mid single digit GWP growth while they're expecting an improvement in the combined operating ratio. But it, it wasn't all smooth sailing with the US business still struggling a bit, but they say they've made some improvements there and, and that will be coming through. Well, how do you think soaring profits will play out in front of the floods inquiry, John? Yeah, probably not very well. It's already cropped up a bit, you know, the, the this idea that, um, oh, you insurers are making loads of profit, so uh, why can't you cut consumers some slack? So when QBE appears uh, tomorrow or today as you listen to this, um, it's going to be a bit awkward, I think. They, they, they've obviously doubled their profit, more than doubled their profit. So, you know, some of those MPs are probably, I would suggest, going to latch onto that as part of their questioning. But, of course, the insurers' answers that they've given already uh, in this inquiry still apply. You know, in, in, insurers have good years and they have bad years, and we've had a, a number of bad years over the past past few years so you know we needed some some healthy profits to make up for that uh, there's also the issue that property uh, insurance which the flood inquiry is obviously mostly concerned with isn't at the heart of all these profits in fact insurers tend to lose money on home insurance and as andrew hall the ica ceo pointed out to the inquiry insurers want each line of business to stand on its own two feet well the industry is taking a few reputational hits recently terry yeah, I guess it is. Look, I, I don't like to see the insurance industry's financial performance being lumped in with, say, Qantas's crap customer service and huge profits, Coles and Woolworths marketing techniques and doubtless huge profits, and even our uncompetitive banks vanishing from main streets everywhere while making amazing profits. So... Look, I don't care much about huge profits being made by insurers as long as the customer's getting the outcomes that they're paying for. And in none of the instances I've mentioned of these companies, is that really true? I don't believe the insurance industry's price gouging and none of the other companies I mentioned face the sort of challenges that insurance faces through these massive weather events. There's a big element of unpredictability in insurance that we can't control. But yeah, I still have to say we're falling short of our own expectations. Well, our analysis this week focuses on the sometimes fraught issue of cash settlements, Wendy. Well, the financial councillors and consumer groups have um, focused on cash settlements as an issue because they say vulnerable people are getting pressured into lowball payments and they claim that there's a trend for that to be cash settlements to be used more often. And also when councils and lawyers get involved, those payments can often be raised considerably. But, you know, insurers say in most cases they actually prefer to do the repairs themselves and they include extra amounts in the sum for contingencies. And sometimes, you know, it's uh, the customer themselves who actually wants the, uh, the cash settlement. But overall, it does look like that might be an area where the inquiry might be making some recommendations for improvement. Does something need to change here, John? Yes, possibly. I think, you know, cash settlements obviously can be very useful, you know, sometimes when the sum insured is exceeded or there's existing damage that has to be taken into account, or even when the consumer decides that that's what they want to do. But as Wendy says, they can be can be dangerous. You know, you're putting a vulnerable person in charge of 
a major project and after a catastrophe, you know, there's all sorts of challenges. And the more time goes by, the more prices go up, etc. So it's very difficult. The problem I think we've got here is there's two pretty contradictory narratives. We've got the consumer groups saying that insurers are pushing people into cash settlements and low-balling them. And we've got the insurers saying, absolutely not. We would rather carry out the repairs ourselves wherever possible. So I'm wondering if some data needs to be collected on this and released publicly because we've asked ICA and we've asked the insurers, you know, how many of these claims are you cash settling? And they can't tell us. I also don't think that AFCA collects information on complaints about cash settlements specifically. So that would be useful. One thing we do know anecdotally is that when claimants challenge a cash settlement, it often goes up and it doesn't just go up by a few few dollars. It goes up significantly often. We've seen these come through to Africa and we've heard the financial counselors talk about it as well. And, you know, a cash settlement of 200,000 will suddenly, suddenly rock it up to 500,000 once the complaint goes through. So that is telling, I suppose, in those instances. But the problem is we just don't know how widespread the issue is. Well, Wendy, we've also had some disappointing news out of Tasmania. What's going on? Well, Tasmania has been looking to reform their fire and emergency services funding um, for years. Um, And last year they came up with a model that would have uh, dropped an insurance levy on, on business policies and also reformed the way putting a levy on property. But these changes would particularly have hit property owners in rural areas. And there's been quite a backlash from farmers, the property council and local government. So last week, the uh, Tasmanian government on the same day announced um, a state election on March 23. They said they were also pausing work on the uh, levy reform, but it didn't sound like that was just because of the election. They were saying they wouldn't go ahead uh, with a model that uh, that doesn't have support. Insurers will be hoping that New South Wales don't go down a similar path, Bernice. Yeah, they may be feeling nervous about New South Wales right now, but New South Wales may, may be different from Tasmania. I mean, there's no election, firstly, and Chris Means, the New South Wales Labour Premier, he, he won the election last year with a pretty big swing against the coalition. So he does have sort of the numbers to push through with his ESL reforms. And he has said that the ESL levy is sus- unsustainable in its current form. And of course, insurance affordability in New South Wales uh, is probably the most acute in Australia. But the lesson of 2015 is still fresh in the minds of the industry. I mean, the Barrachiklan government confirmed it, it would replace the ESL levy with a property tax. But then some 18 months later in 2017, it backed out. So um, I guess uh, IC will be watching New South Wales and of course, keeping up the, the, the stakeholder work with the Minsk government to make sure that this time the ESL reform does goes, goes through. Yeah. Well, we had another breaking news last week, John, about a new Lloyds syndicate. Yes, that's right. So um, Australian underwriting agency Agile has been given the, the green green light to establish its own Lloyds syndicate. Now, the slightly interesting thing here is we've not had official confirmation yet from Lloyds or Agile on the record. But, you know, we, we heard this was happening and sources have confirmed that Agile has been given in principle approval to set up this syndicate. It's through the Lloyd's syndicate in a box scheme, which is uh, a model which gives smaller entrepreneurial operations the opportunity to establish an underwriting platform at Lloyd's. So, yeah, the theory is that this will give Agile access to capacity and enable rapid growth, and it should be able to deliver a lot more capacity to Australian brokers in the areas where they need it. 
Is this a significant development, Terry? Yeah, I think so. It's it's certainly another indication that Lloyd's is moving away from its old plan to conquer the third world. Now it's focusing more on its established markets. So that's a good sign for local uh, underwriting agencies and, of course, great sign for brokers. Having a Lloyd's syndicate's underwriters actually embedded in the local market should make them more agile. Oh, pardon the pun, than their London-based counterparts and dealing with local brokers. And, and congratulations to Agile's CEO, Robin Barham. He's been sweating on making this happen for quite a while. Well, finally, Benice, there's been a bit of weather about for insurers to contend with. Yeah, we had some pretty bad storms in Victoria last week and um, insurers have received about 10,000 claims from what ICA has called the Valentine's Day storms. Um, it's been declared a significant event. So some of 530,000 homes were left without power across the state and most of the damage to homes and businesses um, has been uh, as a result of fallen debris from trees and bushland as well as the extended power outages. So uh, ICA has said it's still too early to understand the full extent of the damage and to estimate the insurance damage bill. And then we've also had bushfires in regional Victoria last week, and that has destroyed about uh, 47 properties, 46 homes and one commercial property. And ICA is also tabulating the claims. And then, of course, last yesterday we in Sydney, we had some um, pretty bad storms. So that that's another one that ICA will be tabulating the figures to. Yeah. Well, it wouldn't be modern Australia if we didn't have cyclones, storms and bushfires all at the same time, Terry. <laughs> it's happening a lot, Andrew. It's the old white brown land syndrome. We're, we're a very big island with a comparatively small population. So no matter what the damage is, where it is or how extensive it is, and insurers are expected to deal with them all the same way, which is quickly and efficiently and all at the same time. I mean, as, as the weather gets wilder and even less predictable, look, we, we've come full circle to, to the start of this podcast, really, where we discussed reputational damage due to our less than wonderful response to the, the East Coast floods. Uh, we can't employ an army of loss adjusters, tradies and claims staff to sit around waiting for the next multiple crisis to strike somewhere. So we might have to consider really how to make people aware of the extent of the problems we're facing and maybe start to lower customer and, and political expectations about the insurance response to simultaneous catastrophes. Or at least we can maybe get better at communicating the scale of the challenge we're facing. We're, because right now we're, we're just facing up and, and it's this is not easy. Well, on that note, we're all out of parsley, sage, rosemary, and thyme. That brings us to the end of this week's Insight Podcast by Insurance News. Thank you once again to our panel, Wendy Pugh, John Deeks, Bernice Ham, and a crying Terry McMullen. Enjoy your week, and thank you all for listening. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at editor at insurancenews.com.au. We value your input. You can read all these stories and many others at your leisure at insurancenews.com.au. You can subscribe to the Insight Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google, on all your favorite podcast platforms now. We look forward to catching up again next week. 